Again, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is God's word. Blessed, blessed, blessing, and blessed. This word appears four times in our four verses. The synonym blessing is for grace. God loves us. He loves us, but he doesn't just tell us he loves us. He does something about it. He activates that love as a free gift into our lives. That's expressed supremely in Jesus Christ, but also in all kinds of ways seen and unseen. And if you've been around uh, Christians long enough, if you've been a Christian long enough or been around Christians long enough, you'll hear us say things like, I'm blessed. Or you'll hear us encourage one another to count our blessings. What do we really mean when we say that? What, What are we referring to? I think it's most often things that we can see, right? Things that are most obvious to us, like a good job, uh, material prosperity, good health, family, opportunities. These are all things that when we thank God for his grace and count our blessings, these are the things that typically we think of. We see them as undeserved gifts from God, and so we say we are hashtag blessed by them. Paul says that those who trust Jesus are blessed, but not just blessed by the things they can see. They are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you see that there in your Bibles? Every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. They are spiritual because they are unseen, and they are heavenly because such blessings endure far longer, and they're far more certain than any of those blessings that we can see in our lives. I mean, think about it. When you count blessings in your life, when you think of, try to think of the things for which you're thankful for, to kind of cheer your heart, what are those things for you? My guessing guess is the things we can see, the things we can hear, the things we get images of a thousand times a day, people, places, things. We're bombarded with things we can easily give thanks for. So what about the things we can't see? We don't think about them as often, do we? That's why it's so good to have God's word. So good to have God's word. These these unseen blessings that are far more enduring and certain. Paul says we should go out of our way. He's, He's writing, so we'll go out of our way to think on the things we can't see. Consider the things we can't see. Meditate on the blessings we cannot see in our lives. That's what Paul has us do here as we begin Ephesians. He opens in Ephesians with a 202 word long run on sentence. Have you ever... Have you ever heard someone talk a lot without and taking a breath? Do you have that kind of friend in your life where they just talk, 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 you're like, oh my gosh, when did you say your name about five minutes in? Paul, 202 words he is just excited about because he wants us to meditate on blessings that we cannot see, like an eternity past adoption from God the Father, a 2,000-year-old redemption accomplished by God the Son, 
and applying this adoption and the blessings of this redemption to our lives every day through God the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next three weeks, these unseen blessings that are so easy to forget and ignore and just miss in our lives. And the greatest blessing of all is one we'll begin with this morning as we start Ephesians, and that's the blessing of adoption. God the Father adopting people like you and me. It's remarkable, astounding, inexplicable, and it's also infinite. Paul says it happened, if you look here in your text, before the foundation of the world. It's like God, God, God the Father foresees a lineup of orphans. And as he foresees that lineup of orphans, of people who need a home and need a family, he chooses me. He picks me, which is incredible. He says, I want you. And he predestined this adoption to become a reality in our history and so that it will last forever. For some of us, that is the, even as you hear that, me, I want you, God says. It's the, it's the best blessing you've ever heard as it washes over you, especially if you're remotely in touch with your life, with your, your choices that you make every day, with your, with your heart. And you think, man, God would choose me of all people. And yet, for some others of us, we don't like it. We don't like this idea of God foreseeing a line of orphans and saying, I want you I want to adopt you. We think to ourselves, I, I, I want the God, Jesus, and all that stuff to be totally my decision, ultimately up to me, right? Because that that's just seems fair and it seems right. But Paul shares in this passage why, in fact, adoption is, is a better blessing to that objection, a better blessing to wanting it to be about our choice. And not just a better blessing, but a practical blessing as well. I'd summarize it like this in a nutshell. Adoption. Adoption is so wonderful. It's such a blessing because it increases our praise to God and decreases the pressure on us. Let me see that one more time. Adoption increases our praise to God while decreasing pressure on us. And I'm just going to spend the rest of our sermon sort of unpacking this great truth for our lives. First of all, adoption, it increases praise to God. In a few weeks, my mother and father are going to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. Worth, Worth and Sandra, I love them, so proud of them. They've been amazing parents to me and a great example of for marriage. And there will be cards. 50th wedding anniversary, there will be cards. Because they, they've always been intentional to express their love for one another and for their kids, for us, for their friends as well through writing. And that's natural, right? Because we want to express to people we love, not only that we love them, but why we love them. To give them the reasons and the qualities for which we love them. And so, in cards, in letters, writing things like, thanks, you know, for being a good husband, for being a good father, for checking in on me when I was down, for listening well when it was hard to listen. Things like that are things that you show up in cards that they write. And it's wonderful and encouraging. It's natural to do this, to express to our beloved why they're so lovely. So maybe you notice something missing from Paul's letter when he writes about the Father's love for us. Paul says, in love, the Father predestined us as sons. 
Did you notice what's missing? Love is the reason, and it's alone the reason why the Father chooses people like you and me to be included in his family. It's not because of some natural quality about us. It's not because we did something great or noble or kind or charitable. Even though it's wonderful to do those things, he didn't choose us for those reasons either. In fact, all the good things we read about in this passage, you notice, are done by God. He, him, his, mentioned six times in just four verses. He chose in him, before him, he predestined his will, his glorious grace. In other words, it's all about what God does for us. God increases, we decrease. In John chapter 10, Jesus said that no one even comes to him unless the Father first draws him. No one even comes to Jesus, approaches Jesus, unless the Father draws that person to Jesus. God has to be at work. So that first time you heard about Jesus and actually listened, it was the Father. It was God who caused you to listen. That first time you were interested enough in Jesus to speak up and ask the questions that you had about him, it was God who stirred up that interest in the first place. At that first time, you felt a desire bubbling up to say, yeah, I think I may want a relationship with Jesus. It was God who implanted in you that desire in the first place. Even that desire, that want to, is a gift from God. Every step, every good impulse, every godly desire is grace. That means it's more about God than we even thought. Even that Even that little want to is from him. It's more about God than we thought. That that, that is why the truth of adoption then is to the praise of his glorious grace. It says here in verse 6. God mobilizes his love and sets it upon souls that are otherwise described in the Bible as blind, as lost, as dead. That's who we are without God. If I had to summarize that, that I would summarize that as helpless. Blind, lost, dead, helpless. So the fact that we would know God, want God, want to do things for God, and be included in his family should increase our praise to God. And yet, yet, not all of us will be happy about the decreased role for us. So let me explain why this is so good by a decreased role for us in God's work in our life is a very good thing. The Father's eternal decision to adopt decreases the pressure on us. Let me share with you just a few ways why adoption decreases the pressure on us. One way is that it decreases the pressure of our doubts. It decreases the pressure of our doubts. If the Father foresees a lineup of people, of orphans, One question we often have is, how can I know that he chose me? How do I know that the Father said, from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, I want you? What is the evidence that I'm his child? And the question is answered through Jesus Christ, definitively through Jesus Christ. Twice in this passage, Paul twice tries to tell us this. Look at verse 4. Even as the Father chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In him is referring to Jesus The Father chose us in Christ. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So so to wonder and doubt, if 
about where you stand with God can be answered by the question, what do you believe about Jesus? Because it's only through Jesus, it's only in Jesus that we know we're part of the Father's family. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he died and rose again from death? Do you trust that he is, he is the God not only of the universe but your life individually? Do you believe he's the only one who can forever forgive your sin and include you in the Father's family forever? If the answer is yes to those things, then God the Father has included you as a son or daughter in his family. In John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, John says this about Jesus. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion, from a human plan. This rebirth comes from God. I wonder sometimes when we doubt where we stand with God, that sometimes stems from our human upbringing, from our upbringing as young kids all the way into the teenage years and young adulthood. We grew up in families that taught us about God. And we will sometimes say, like, I believed in God from as far back as I can remember. We always went to church, or at least went to church enough. My parents always said we were Christians. And yet you recognize that faith has lying dormant for a long time. And I think John would even say that's because it doesn't exist. Faith is something that's reborn. It's born. It, it's, not a, it's not through physical birth. It doesn't come because you're the parents of Christians that it has to be your trusting Jesus for yourself. It's interesting that under the Roman law, during which Paul was writing, a common practice was for adult men to actually choose an heir outside of their family. If they didn't have children especially, they would would choose an heir, adopt an heir outside of their family because they wanted to carry on their family line. They'd adopt them. They're an heir. I'm carrying on my name. What's interesting about that is they never choose them as babies. They always waited until they became of age. They became mature enough to know who these people are. That's what Paul has in mind, a mature human who by trusting Jesus proves the reality of their adoption. You have to make that decision for yourself as an adult to trust Jesus. That means pressure's very much decreased. If, 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 if the answer to Jesus is yes, then you know where you stand. If the answer is no, you know where you stand. You don't have to doubt in that sense. So if you're here listening this morning and you know, have not yet trusted Jesus, you may conclude, I'm never going to be part of his family. Maybe he hasn't chosen me. And yet you are here. Right? You, you are listening. And, and maybe, maybe now's the time God is offering you this invitation, and now's the time to finally accept it and say, yes, I want a relationship with Jesus. And upon accepting that invitation, you open the envelope and see inside that there's an RSVP for you at the Father's table forever. But if you keep on resisting, if you keep on saying no to Jesus, and you do that till the end of your life, to the end of your days, well, then you have your answer also. So adoption actually takes the pressure off of our, our doubts. Adoption also takes the pressure off off of us to perform. All of us have the experience, I think, of someone accepting us into something greater than ourselves, whether it be a peer group, a team, a job, a club. And, 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 and sometimes upon something very special you enter into, you feel so privileged, 
so privileged, in fact, that you desperately don't want to let the person down who lets you in, right? Whether it be the, the coach, the, the team, the unspoken or spoken leader. You desperately don't want to let that person down. And so you feel tons of pressure, don't you? For the things that are the greatest privilege, we feel more pressure to perform well because we don't want to be excluded if we mess up. I remember in high school, we had a varsity golf team uh, full of a group of guys who were great golfers. I mean, they, shot, they had a one-to-four handicap, if you know anything about golf. Like, pretty much all of them. Three of them earned uh, scholarships to Division I universities to play golf. It was a really good golf team. And as James knows, I'm not that good. And, and, and I remember I was on the junior varsity team. It's my junior year. And, and someone on the varsity team got hurt. Maybe out for a little bit. So I was included on the team, the varsity team, all of a sudden. But I was playing with, it was a privilege. What do you think I felt as I stepped to the first tee to hit that ball? Just a tremendous amount of pressure. This is my chance. What if I fail? So what do I do? I'm trembling. I hit the ball. It goes off to a canyon on the right side of the fairway. I shoot, I shoot about 13 to 14 strokes over what I normally shoot. And sure enough, I, uh, I was excluded from the varsity team after that. And quit, basically quit golf for high school. Um, and now I play leisurely, trying to redeem myself forever. That's our experience with life. How much more so with an all-seeing God who can see all our failures, know all our weaknesses, know every time we slip up, even when others don't. Many of us wonder, will God still accept me if I slip up again? Adoption answers that question with a resounding no, or yes, sorry. <laughs> yes, he will accept me. Oh, my gosh. I think he won't accept me. <laughs> no, he won't. Yes. Oh, way to ruin that moment. <laughs> Clearly, I felt a lot of pressure myself. <laughs> that right. Thankfully, I'm accepted by Jesus. Well, God continues to be absolutely. God answers this question. Because adoption into the Father's family, it's a permanent choice. You can't do anything to change that. It's confirmed by Jesus' work on the cross and resurrection from the dead that he wants you if you've trusted him. Not only is it a permanent choice to include us, it's a, it's a permanent course God sets us on to make us more like Jesus. Look at verse 4, where Paul says, He chose us that we should become holy and blameless in God's sight. In other words, God has not only chosen us, he's put us on this course to be more and more like Jesus every day in our life, in our character, and our love for others, and the way we treat people. Every day, more and more like Jesus. Elsewhere, Paul puts it like this, the God who began a good work in you will see it to completion. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. He's put you on that course. That means there's literally nothing I can do to stop God's progressive work in my life of making me more like Jesus. No slip up, no mess up. There's nothing bad enough I could do. Which means that as I try to live my life for God, the pressure's off. I can actually try big things for God because the pressure's off. There's, there's a freedom to mess up knowing that I'm still accepted by Jesus. And thus, makes it much more likely I'll succeed. I've told this story before about a, a major league baseball pitcher named John Smoltz. I want to tell it again. He's a professional baseball pitcher. He was a Hall of Fame pitcher when he used to pitch. 
but he was a starting pitcher, which means he began the game. And he pitched and he pitched and he pitched. Usually seven innings. Near the end of his career, his team needed what was known as a relief pitcher or a closer. A closer is known as one of the most pressure-packed jobs in all the sports. That's because your one chance to come into the game is in the very last inning, to come in and what's called save the game. Literally, your job is to be the savior of the game. You come in and make sure the team scores no more runs, and if they do, all the blame comes on you. All that hard work goes out the window. All the pressure then is on you. People had tried to change jobs between being the one who started and the one who ended the game before, and it was almost never successful because of all that pressure. Except it was successful for John. At the end of his career, he decided to take a risk, change jobs, and have all that pressure come on him. And when he was asked why he was so successful, because he was very successful as that savior, quote-unquote, he said this, as a follower of Jesus, I know I'm a child of God. My destiny is secure, so really there's no pressure when I throw. So really, praise God for that. Praise God for that in our lives. When we try big things, pressure's off. One last thing. Adoption decreases the pressure when sharing my faith. Is there anything more nerve-wracking than that in our lives? Christians, those of you who have trusted Jesus, when an opportunity opens up, just a little bit, even a sliver, where you know, I could really actually say something about Jesus here. I could say something about my relationship with God. But what if that doesn't go well? What if I don't have the answers to all those people's questions? What if I just mess it up? And am I messing it up so ruin their chances at knowing God forever? There's a pressure we sometimes feel about opening our mouth when it comes to the good news about Jesus. And yet adoption answers these fears. It answers these fearful questions. The truth of adoption frees us from so I'm not a very good fisherman. I never have been, probably never will be. I don't have the patience for it. I'll play, I'll, I'll, I'll go outside and do almost anything else with you. I'm also not good at volleyball, but I'll even do that. So I, didn't li- I never liked fishing, but there was this cool older kid down the street when I was growing up, Cameron. He wanted me to go fishing with him. So of course I said yes, we were friends already. I wanted to keep that relationship going. We headed down to the local park in Southern California, and along the way, he, he brought a little tackle box, and he showed me 50 kinds of fishing tackle, 50 lures, if you will. And I asked, man, do we really need all those? Turns out that we didn't. The local pond was, was teeming with carp that, that were very eager to just see a hook and a little worm and go for it. So we didn't even need to get to all the lures. Friends, you, you don't need 50 kinds of lures to answer each person's question. And when people do ask you questions about Jesus, you can just go seek them out and come back. If the person has been prepared by the Father, they're going to respond. We just need to use the hook. Cast the line, use the hook. Share the simple good news about Jesus with that person, and they'll bite. Many of them will bite because they've been adopted by the Father from eternity past. As, as we try to share with them, you know what? We may fail. We may bumble over our words. We may stumble in what we say. But just try to get out that simple good news that, that 
God is awesome and he is perfect. But because we are not perfect, because we have sinned against him and fallen short of the glory of God, God can't be around us because he can't be around imperfection. But because God loved us so much, he sent a perfect man to live the life we couldn't, to die the death we deserved. That man is Jesus, who rose from the dead, proving that he was the God who could be trusted, proving that he could forgive us forever, proving that we could be included in the Father's family forever. And that can be true for you. All you have to do is trust your life to Jesus. Say something like that. And you know what? Even if you mess up saying that, even if you just say, Jesus loves you, he wants a relationship with you, they're going to start to bite. They're going to start to bite. Or they're not. Either way, the pressure's off you. The pressure's off you. It doesn't depend on you. There's a great phrase that sums us up about our salvation and everything else in Romans 9.16. It is not therefore dependent on our desires or effort, but on God's mercy. It's up to him. As you see that adoption then decreases pressure on us while increasing all the credit, all the praise to God. It's an interesting way Paul puts it here, isn't it? Adoption is to the praise of his glorious grace. It's interesting to me that he says that versus saying like adoption brings praise to God or adoption brings praise to Jesus. Why do you think he said praise to God's glorious grace, something that God gives? I think Paul really wanted to emphasize, stress, highlight that this is all a gift from God. Any desire to know God in the first place the inclusion into our Father's family, an ongoing acceptance of us even when we mess up in our life, any attempt to share and open our mouth about Jesus, our, our spiritual growth, all of it is a gift from God. All of it is His glorious grace which should bring praise and honor to Him. How do you respond to this? Because not everyone responds well. It can feel a little bit like a competitor being, being told after a victory, yeah, you won, but it was all luck. How does that make you feel? Or in response to a special privilege, it's only because your dad, your father is so-and-so that you have this. Or being told by a lover, I love you, but not because anything specific about you, per se. Some of us will feel offended because no credit is left for us. But for some of us, some of us, we feel relief because there's nothing we can do, no way we can fail, no idiotic decision we can make that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your good plan for salvation and for growth and for sharing you with others. We thank you for your good plan of adoption, for saying, I want you, I choose you. Not because of anything about you per se. Spiritually, you're blind, you're, 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 you're lost, you're dead. But just because I love, that's who I am. I love. Thank you for saying that you are love and you just wanted to share that love with us. Father, I pray that the, those here who have resisted that love for a long time would accept that invitation have a relationship with Jesus and know for sure that because they trust in you, Jesus, 
that you're the God of the universe and their life and for, can forever forget their sin, that they can know they have a place in your family. I pray that most of all. Help us say yes to that invitation today. For those of us who already know you, God, please, please help us lay our pride down and recognize that all of its grace, our growth in you, our opening our mouth and people being interested in you, our, our desire to, to live godly lives and get to know you more. All of this is a gift from you. And so the pressure's off. We can live in the freedom of the love of God, trying big things for you. Give us, please, Lord, that freedom through knowing our adoption and knowing we are loved forever by our Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.